The Best Worst Idea Podcast. If you've ever been publicly humiliated and dreamed of having your revenge, well, this story is for you. When I was around 11 years old, circa 1983, the world was full of arcade games. I'm talking about the old-school stand-up 8-bit quarter-sucking arcade games with titles like Asteroids, Donkey Kong, and Dig Dug. When I say they were everywhere, I don't mean that there were arcades everywhere, which there were. I'm saying that when you went anywhere, 7-Elevens, drugstores, liquor stores, gas stations, bars, restaurants, you name it. If they had a 4x4-foot squared space available, an arcade game was put there. Unlike today, where young people happily watch others stream their gameplay online, you only watch someone play if you yourself were waiting to play next. You set your quarters up on the ridge of the glass, and you waited. Most of these games allowed for Player 1 and Player 2. This meant if you played against someone, it was likely you were waiting your turn for them to die so you could step up to the game and play. Games where you actively played against someone in real time existed, but it wasn't the norm. My game of choice was Pac-Man. Sure, I liked other games, but given the choice, I always seemed to gravitate towards that pill-munching little guy. In any event, This was the game that captured my imagination. I was decent at the game, but my luck would eventually run out and the game would be over. One of my favorite places to play this game was a local laundromat around the corner from my house. I liked it because it was next door to an old-school pizza place that made thin crust pie and the smell of sauce and cheese and pizza crust would permeate the laundromat, blocking out the smell of cheap detergent and bleach. The place had room for three video games. On the left was a game called Tempest. On the right was Battlezone, and in the middle was, you guessed it, Pac-Man. One day after school, I walked over and found a guy playing on the machine. He was flanked by two cute girls. They were older than me by a few years, probably high school age. The three of them were laughing and joking and having a hell of a time. I quietly stepped up and put my quarter up on the glass. When he was finished with his game, he turned to me and asked if I wanted to play against him. I agreed. In truth, I didn't want to play with anybody. I wanted to play alone, but this way I would at least get a chance at playing at all. So we plunked in our quarters and started. I went first. I cleared the first couple of screens before getting caught short by the ghosts. I stepped back, and he began. He negotiated the maze easily, cheered on by his two groupies. No big deal. Then he finished another screen, and another, and another. Soon it became pretty clear I was going to be waiting there for a long time. When he was eventually surrounded by ghosts and killed, it was more out of distraction than genuine error. My next shot was short-lived, and I died almost immediately after starting. The girls giggled. He made some snarky comments about how lame I was. It was demoralizing. 
It can't be understated how horrible it was to be triumphed so utterly and completely, doing one of the few things that made me genuinely happy. Life for me at that age was no picnic. Sure, others had it worse than I, but it's all relative. And this asshole had just destroyed my beloved Pac-Man. I avoided the laundromat after that. I was too ashamed to show my face. Weeks later, I was with my family in Santa Monica at the 3rd Street Promenade. We were in a convenience store of some kind, and on the shelf, just below the cash register, was a row of paperbacks. Impulse buys. You know, sun signs, horoscopes, relationship advice, crosswords, and a book called Mastering Pac-Man by Ken Houston. Hold on a second. Mastering Pac-Man? I picked it up and flipped through it. It was the first time I had read the word pattern in relationship to the game. According to the book, the key to winning the game was all about following the specific patterns for each of the screens. Could it be that easy? I brought the book to my mother and begged her to buy it for me. She looked at me like I was crazy. She looked the book over and it seemed harmless enough. Looking back, she was probably just happy to see her son interested in reading anything. As a side note, I didn't know this at the time, but the author of Mastering Pac-Man, Ken Houston, was a blackjack card counter and the man responsible for starting blackjack teams who would take casinos for millions long before Ben Mesrick and his bringing down the house crew from MIT ever did. Point is, I think my Pac-Man future was safe in his hands. Now, with the book in my possession, I studied it. I went over the patterns over and over and over. I had to know them in and out. I had to prove to myself that one, they actually worked, and two, I could remember them without thinking. I drew the patterns on pieces of paper and ran them over and over. It was like a rocky training montage. I eventually got up the courage to try the patterns out at other secret Pac-Man locations. Did they work? Yes, they most definitely did work. Did I have what it took to use them? Not quite, but the learning curve was overcome quickly and soon I could play more Pac-Man on one quarter than any person should ever be allowed. My time had come. I knew I was ready. I heard a boxing ring bell go off loudly in my head as I walked into the laundromat to face down my nemesis. When I arrived, he was standing there at the Pac-Man machine, still flanked by his two flunkies. I put my quarters up. He asked if I wanted to play against him. I said okay as if this would be my only way to get on the machine. He started this time and played through numerous screens. I was nervous. Would I remember the patterns? The book had also stated that some machines didn't follow these patterns probably because they were knockoffs of the original game. I had never actually tried out these patterns on this particular machine. What if this machine was a cheap, pirated version? I'd look like a fool. And then, he died. It was time. I stepped up to the machine and took a deep breath. Neither my nemesis nor his groupies paid attention to my game. They just busied themselves in conversation, laughing and joking. The pattern was working. I was able to clear a handful of screens without any trouble at all. But then something interesting happened. Everything got quiet. No more laughing and joking. 
No more chit-chat behind my back. All three of them gathered around the machine to watch me play. Screen after screen after screen. I gobbled pills, power pills, fruit, and ghosts. It got to the point where the ghost didn't even flash when I ate the power pills at the four corners of the maze. I had advanced to the levels where the bonus items were just little blue keys, one after another. My nemesis, suddenly realizing he was beat, warmed up to me. He rooted me on, as did the girls. I didn't want him to be nice. I wanted him to suffer the same humiliation I had. Maybe he was, and I just couldn't see his face. When I finally lost my life, it was at a pure mental exhaustion. He didn't even play his turn. He just nodded in acknowledgement and left. There was nothing left to do. Nothing left to prove I had defeated the enemy. But it came at a great cost. I had managed to suck all of the remaining joy out of the game. They say magicians guard an empty safe. The magic trick is dazzling and exciting. Until, that is, you learn how it's done. Then it loses its power. You've opened the safe, and you've found it empty. Magicians, it would seem, aren't just protecting themselves when they fail to reveal their methods. They're actually protecting you as well. Years later, I learned there was a point in the game, if you kept going, where the screen would freeze and the game would stop. This was called the kill screen. It happened on the 256th screen because of a programming bug. There was no true ending to the game. The thought was probably that nobody was ever going to get that far. Well, they did. And as with all things, people moved on. Arcade games were taken out of stores, sometimes just left unplugged as not to suck up unwanted energy. Even arcades struggled until they too shuddered from lack of business. I sometimes think about my little laundromat victory and smile. Then I'm overcome by the uncontrollable urge for old-school thin-crust pizza. If you enjoyed this content, please do me a favor and like, comment, and share it. Or you can subscribe to this podcast by going to www.bestworstideapodcast.com.